Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. You know, it's not like we get recognized a lot, but every time it happens, we look like ass. Yeah, it's uh, entirely accurate. There is a surplus of crap-looking me and a shortage of nice-looking me, apparently. <laughs> first time it happened, we were at an airport in uh, Tennessee, coming back from our first live show. Tennessee? Tennessee. A uh, game of horseshoes. And um, we were we were approached by somebody who said, hey, yeah, I saw the show the other night. It was really great. And it was like 5.30 in the morning, and um, my hair was all sticking out on mm-hmm. one side. Um, we were just laughing about that the other day, and then today we had to go down to the rental house that uh, that we are selling and do some painting. And I had paint. You had it on your forehead. Yeah. I had it all over me, and we're standing waiting in line to get sandwiches. And the guy's like, "Hey, I like your podcast." <sighs> Thank you. Yeah, we. I'm we, so sorry. Yeah, we we really appreciate it, but um, honestly, we don't look like ass all the time. Not all the time. No. Well, okay. In fairness, eighty five percent. Yeah. Of the time. Absolutely, that's but, fair. But that's there's that one fifteen percent chance that we're not going to look like ass. And I never see anyone on those it days. Never happens. I think we're just better off hiding out in our basement studio, <laughs> <laughs> which is what we would do if we were left to our own devices. Speaking of which, what do you have a, a story for me, maybe? I do, madam. And here it is now. In 1980, Jody Roberts, she joined the reporting staff at the News Tribune in Oregon. She was uh, an investigative reporter. She was young, 22 years old. And her co-workers and associates remembered her as being a real hard-boiled kind of re- reporter. A go-getter? A go-getter. At, at 22 years old, she was really aggressive. They admired her. Uh, they said she asked the tough questions and she would not let people off the hook. Jody, don't play softball. And then one day, Jody disappeared. There was a lot of speculation as to why she disappeared. 
many suspected foul play. She had written some tough investigative stories about uh, some pretty powerful people. Uh Aha. In particular, a former mayor of Tacoma. Jody dug into his business dealings. She had good connections, good sources. She told a friend that she actually had been contacted by the FBI who had asked her to go undercover in this particular case. But she said she declined the offer uh, for, for several different reasons. I've always wanted to go undercover. What would you go undercover for? I don't know. Just the idea of wearing a fake mustache and yep. sitting in a car somewhere eating sandwiches, staking it out. See, that is that is stakeout. I want to go undercover. Okay. Well, you can go undercover and stakeout. Sure. Yeah. You know, okay. But you prefer the undercover as opposed to the... Well, I mean, I think stakeouts would involve more sandwiches, so maybe you're on the right track. (laughs) There was another case uh, with the then interim sheriff, uh, Mark French. He was set to be confirmed by the county council uh, for the job permanently. Okay. And uh, it was known that he had, well, rumored that he had threatened Roberts. In March of 1985, which was just two months before she disappeared. Now, French denied it. Now, what? why had he threatened her? Well, there had been a rumor that French had used cocaine on his boat. And Roberts had overheard that allegation during a civil service hearing. Uh, allegedly, uh, the threat came after that. He found out that she had heard about that and he threatened her. That's the story. He denies it. She was also intrigued by the biggest crime story of that time period in that area, the Green River serial killings. Uh, she was known to have visited the SeaTac Strip, which is where he would troll and uh, find sex workers. She interviewed sex workers about their experiences. Uh, she had taken this investigation very seriously. Mm. There was a thought that maybe she went undercover on this and never was seen again. Oh, wow. So maybe she was undercover as a sex worker and was picked up by the Green River Killer? That was one of the theories. Wow. But there was much more complicating her disappearance. For years, she was known as a dependable, well-established reporter. The editors could always count on her, but then something changed. She started acting depressed and even a little irritable from time to time, and that was very unlike Jody. She appeared to stop taking care of herself Physically, she would show up with with dirt embedded in the creases of her knuckles. Was she involved in an underground fight club? That'd be so cool. Her phone had been disconnected. And remember, this was the time pre-cell phone, and it made it, of course, very difficult for her editors to get a hold of her. This was very unlike Jody. Sure. During the week of May 13th, 1985, she made a last-minute vacation request. She wanted to take a brief trip to uh, eastern Washington with a friend of hers named Mike Bainter. Um, but because the request was short notice, it was denied, and that that pissed her off. She was angry about that. She did show up for work on Friday the 17th of May, but that was the last time any of her co-workers saw her. Jody disappeared, and the years went by. First one, then five, then ten, then twelve. Nobody knew where she was. They all assumed she was dead for one yeah. reason or another. And then in February of 1997, Pierce County Sheriff's Captain Gary Smith was checking the backlog of missing persons cases. And the Jody Roberts case had been pretty much forgotten about, more or less. But it stood out to him. And and now, of course, everybody assumed after 12 years she was dead. Mm -hmm. It had not been moved into us into homicide. So... It needed to be dealt with as a homicide. He compiled a list of suspects and began investigating. 
the News Tribune learned that this case had been reopened, and they published a front-page story about Roberts on June 26th. The story generated a tip from a woman who called and said that she recognized Roberts as a co-worker from Alaska. And that tip was filed away, but it was not pursued. Then the case was transferred to King County Sheriff's Office because the sheriff that... Uh, the threatened? She, yeah, Threatening right. sheriff? He, he transferred the case to a different county, conflict of interest and stuff. Got it. And so when that happened, it uh, generated more news coverage. And that publicity generated a tip from Madeline Wright, uh, the same woman who had called before. Wright said she knew Roberts in Alaska. And she went by the name of Jane D. They worked together as waitresses in 1989. And using that tip, they found Jane D. living in Sitka, Alaska. They reached out to a neighbor who knew Jane, and they sent a message to her through the neighbor. And a call came in from Jane in 15 minutes. She said she didn't know her true name. When they asked her if she wanted to know her true identity, she said she did. And they gave her a brief account of her background and circumstances. She sent a picture to them, and they positively identified that it was her. And she had amnesia? Yes. Here is what happened. They've been able to put together a timeline of her last known actions. On Saturday, she partied with friends. Like party partied or well, they witnesses said. I mean, in, was she on that boat? No, she wasn't. Question, she wasn't but... on that boat. Um, <laughs> according to witnesses in the investigation and uh, in the police reports, they said that she appeared to be in good spirits, but that uh, she didn't appear to be drunk or high in any way. On Monday, the twentieth, Roberts was supposed to cover a story, but. She never showed up. Instead, at 10.30 a.m., it was determined later in the investigation that she had gone to her bank, emptied out her savings, which was $80, transferred it to her checking account, and then wrote a check for $350, leaving herself overdrawn by 20 bucks. The newspaper she worked for at the time considered doing a story on her disappearance, mm -hmm. but the general feeling was that they thought she there was something going on with her that uh, she was disappointed in where she was in her career. She was unhappy there and that the general feeling was that she just chucked it and left. Oh, so they, they decided not to do a story on her. OK, so five days after that, a brown haired woman who appeared to be in her 20s and wearing a University of Denver sweatshirt, wandered into the security office of the Aurora Mall in Colorado. She told the security officer she didn't know her name. Oh. She didn't know who she was. She just suddenly realized that she was carrying a set of Toyota keys and wandering through a mall. She had no idea where she was. She had no identification. She didn't know who she was. The only thing she was carrying with her was a copy of the book Watership Down. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. Um, now, how far was how far is Aurora from where she was last seen? It's just under thirteen hundred miles. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And they had found her car abandoned near the courthouse, back in Oregon. In Oregon. But she still had her keys, but nobody knew how she got there. She didn't know how she got there. She didn't remember anything. Oh, well, that's weird. So they called local law enforcement. They asked her some questions and they said that she appeared to be intelligent. She was articulate, obviously literate, probably had a college degree, but she couldn't remember who she was or where she came from. So they took her to Fort Logan, which is a local mental hospital 
where therapists continued to question her, but with no success. She showed no signs of psychosis or drug involvement. They gave the police a rough diagnosis. They said that she appeared to have psychogenic amnesia, and that's generally triggered by a threat of death or being forced into a life-threatening situation. At that point, they put her picture and description out on the wire. But again, this was pre or very, very early internet, Mm. and the information didn't make its way back to Oregon. This was just five days after she disappeared. Jody was being referred to as Jane Doe, and she decided that the therapists at Fort Logan couldn't help her anymore. So September 10th, they discharged her. She changed her name to Jane D., And with the help of the Fort Logan staff, she got a new social security number. Uh, She randomly chose a birthday, and uh, it made her officially five years younger than she actually was. So that's kind of cool. So she starts a new life. She goes back to college. She gets a degree in Russian literature from the University of Denver. Amazing. While waiting tables. And then in 89, she took a waitressing job in Skagway, Alaska. (gasps) I'm going to Skagway. Yep. Her co-worker said she was a bit of a loner. She was quiet and smart. And she was always reading when she wasn't working. She met a man named Dan Williams. They became a couple and then a family. She gave birth to um, two daughters, one in 93 and one in 95. Uh, um, I appreciate you and, and your storytelling, um, but I do want to interject and say that I don't think that you need to have children in order to be a family. But please continue. That's just me and my soapbox. Uh, you Be on your way. And again, this is early in the Internet, but she was a bit of a computer savant. Um, she built web pages targeting users of the fledgling eBay auction site. Ooh. Um, and so that's where she lived for 12 years, not knowing who she was. So how they determined it was her, or how she realized it was her, when they contacted her 12 years later, they found out that she was somewhat computer savvy, and uh, they put her picture up on their fledgling newspaper website, and she called back and said, that's me. And they said, do you want us to contact your family? They left that decision up to her, and they gave her the link to the stories about her disappearance, and she called back almost immediately when she found out that her family, even though she didn't know them, and her friends, even though she doesn't remember them, were in great distress because of her disappearance. So they gave that picture of her on the internet, they gave the link to her family and asked them to identify, do you think this is your daughter? Mm -hmm. And they immediately recognized her. Jody Roberts had been lost for 12 years. 12 years. And had finally been found. Now, imagine the emotion going through their family versus like, okay, well, she's probably dead. Oh, wait, no, she's alive. Oh, but she has no idea who the fuck you are. So it was weird. It had to have been a, a roller coaster. She has reconnected with her family, but because of the firestorm of publicity that she received when the story broke, she refuses to be seen in public eye. Two decades later, she still won't talk with the media. Um, Her relationship with her family is good, Mm -hmm. but she still does not remember anything from her previous life. Wow. The earliest that she can remember is that afternoon suddenly seeming to wake up inside what was the Aurora Mall just outside of Denver, Colorado. Wow. She has no idea how she got there still to this day. They just don't know. What triggered that? She was beginning to have some sort of emotional issues, clearly. And then, of course, people thought maybe she had been kidnapped or murdered because of her investigative reporting. Right. But apparently, 
or I don't know, maybe it could have been, she could have been faced with a life threatening right. and that caused her to snap and run away or, or whatever the case may be. But we'll, we will never know. But the good news is she's alive. She's got a family, her new family, her old family, her friends. That is a really wild story. Jody Roberts, a.k.a. Jane D. And now, that thing in the middle. Research has proven if you shout for eight years, seven months, and six days, you'd produce enough sound energy to heat a cup of coffee. Thanks, science. This is the Box of Oddities. I said box. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer 
Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Want to listen to the Box of Oddities ad-free? Of course you do. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got a message from Rachel on Instagram. Hello, I've been a fan for a while and just had a box of oddities effect moment. I was playing a game of Fibbage. I love that game, by the way. And one prompt came about interrogations. I then remembered one technique where they took the suspect and put them in a dark room with a skeleton to which the officer would talk through and make the (laughs) interrogated person confess. I remembered... Hey, the Box of Oddities told me about that, and was it gonna, was the right answer. Yeah, I, that's exactly, I was just thinking, oh, wow, I think we did a story on that. Yeah, yeah. so there you go. The Box of Oddities, um, it is something to spend your time doing, and also a good way to win at board games. Well, that's, that's important. It absolutely is. Our work here is done. So what tale do you have to weave for me? Deborah Sampson was born December 17, 1760 in Plimpton, Massachusetts. Her family was modest. Uh, well, they, they maybe weren't modest, but their, their dollars were. They had dollars that were, mo- they had modest dollars. Okay. They were not well off. They didn't have a lot of money, but they had no problem running through the yard without pants. I don't know about their pants situation, okay. but it's just the way that it came out at first. And I apologize. I probably should have started that sentence over again. Uh, apology accepted. Anyway, her ancestry included Mayflower passengers, uh, which is pretty nice. Um, anyway, Deborah was told that her father had disappeared at sea. Uh, but l- later evidence suggests that he actually abandoned his family and migrated to Lincoln County, Maine. Really? Yeah. That's like 50 miles from where we are. That's correct. Anyway, so Deborah's mom was unable to provide for her kids, and so she placed them in other households, as was per usual. You know, at that time, if you didn't have the money to care for your children, you'd give them to your sister or something. So she was placed in the home of a relative. But then, soon after, her mother died. So her mom's relative was like, well, I don't want this anymore. So she was sent to live with Reverend Peter Thatcher's widow, Mary Prince Thatcher, who was then in her 80s. Wow. She got bounced around quite a bit. The widow Thatcher died. Deborah was sent to live with the Jeremiah Thomas family. Oh, my God. She worked as an indentured servant for the family from 1770 to 1778. Deborah wasn't treated poorly by the Thomases, but he wasn't a believer of 
educating the women. Oh, with the air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. But his sons, who were being educated, shared their schoolwork with her. So the method was apparently successful because <laughs> by the time her indentured servitude was over at the age of 18, Deborah made a living by teaching school. So she got this weird knowledge and history of learning throughout her being bounced from home to home and also the Thomas kids, I guess, who were, you know, kind of forward thinking. Way to go, Thomas kids. Deborah was clever and she figured out not only how to become educated, even though, you know, they didn't weren't educating the women folk. Well, because if you educate women, um, it's dangerous. It's true. Yeah. They might start thinking for themselves. Ew. And then how are you going to have dinner? She also was uh, talented at basket weaving and light carpentry. She made milking stools and winter sleds. Oh, my God. She also fashioned wooden tools and built weather vanes, spools for thread, quilts for weaving. She also produced pie crimpers, which she sold door to door. That's incredible. Yeah. So she was doing really good. In 1782, as the Revolutionary War raged on, Deborah was very patriotic and she wanted to do something to help. But what could she do? She could supply the Revolutionary Army with pie crimpers. Also at this time, towns that were unable to fill their recruitment quotas during the uh, later years of the war were offering bounties to entice volunteer soldiers. So Deborah decided to enter the Continental Army to participate in the American Revolutionary War. Giving up her lucrative pie crimping business. That's right. Wow. That is patriotism. In the early 1780s, Deborah tried to disguise herself in men's clothing and enlist in the military, but she was rebuffed. Now, in his diary, Abner Weston said Samson's attempt scandalized the town. Wow. He wrote, There happened an uncommon affair at this time, for Deborah Sampson of this town dressed herself in men's clothes and hired herself to Israel Wood to go into three years' service, but being found out, returned the hire and paid the damages. Okay, so she was not just putting on men's clothing and saying, hey, I'm a chick in men's clothing, let me in. She was masquerading as a man? That's correct. Okay. Yes. Um, but in this case, after they had given her the money to join the wartime effort, she was discovered to be a lady with lady parts and um, had to give the money back. <clears throat> but she was determined. So on May 23rd, 1872, at the age of 21, Deborah disguised herself once again as a man named Robert Shirtliff and entered <laughs> into the Continental Army under the 4th Massachusetts Regiment. Go, Deborah. Deborah was able to do this because she was tall. She was near to 5'8", which is thought to be the average man's height at the time. Her biographer, Herman Mann, who knew her personally for many years, said, The features of her face are regular, but not what a physiognomist would term the most beautiful. Thank you, question mark. And she had small boobs, which she bound. Okay. So at West Point, she was assigned to Captain George Webb's Company of Light Infantry. Uh, they were called Light Infantry because they traveled lightly, because they had to move fast. So this unit, which consisted of 50 or 60 men, was 
especially picked because they were taller and stronger and more skilled than the average fighter. And Deborah was part of this crew. That's incredible. She was actually nicknamed Molly because of her weird beardless features. (laughs) So, (laughs) dressed as a dude, the dudes in her regiment referred to her by a lady's name because she looked a little like a lady, Mm. right? Weird. She was given the dangerous task of scouting neutral territory to assess British buildup of men and material. She led a raid on a Tory home that resulted in the capture of 15 men. At the siege of Yorktown, she dug some trenches. She helped storm a British camp and endured cannon fire. According to everything that I read, she was a top-to-bottom badass. Deborah was part of many skirmishes against loyalist raiders, uh, typically referred to as cowboys. And during one of these skirmishes, she was shot in the shoulder. She was not able, though, to seek proper medical treatment because she was afraid that she would be found out. Because she's Robert to these people. She's Robert and she has tatties. Right. She allegedly left the bullet in her shoulder and continued on her duties as a soldier. Oh. It said at one point she was shot in the thigh and she was once again unwilling to risk doctoring. So she dug the bullet out with a pen knife and sewed it up with her sewing kit. That is about as badass as you can get. She served undetected until they were in Philadelphia and there was this really high concentration of people dealing with some sort of weird fever. And she fell unconscious with this high fever in the summer of 1783. So she was Unable to say, no, no, don't bring me to a doctor Mm. because she was unconscious. So she got to the doctor and he removed her clothes to treat her and discovered that the cloth that she had under her shirt was used to bind her breasts. The doctor, Barnabas Binney. What a name. (laughs) Dr. Barnabas Binney. Barnabas Binney. Did not reveal his discovery to army authorities. Oh, he didn't. He took her to his house where his wife, daughters, and a nurse took care of her for months. Oh, my God. Yes. Now, eventually, after Deborah was feeling better, Dr. Benny asked her to deliver a note to General Patterson. And she thought it was probably a note that was going to reveal her, her sex. And in other cases, uh, women who pretended to be men and serve in the army were reprimanded. I mean, you weren't supposed to do this. It was trickery. You know, uh, have you seen Mulan? Anyway, (laughs) but Patterson gave her a discharge with a note that had some words of advice and some money to travel home. She was honorably discharged from West Point October 25th after a year and a half of service. After being discharged, she married Benjamin Gannett, a Massachusetts farmer. And there was an account of her experience called The Female Review. It was published in 1797. And in 1802, she began to lecture on her experiences. She was very possibly the first woman to lecture professionally in the United States. Oh, that's amazing. Did she have the bullet taken out, though? Um, no. She kept it in? She kept it in. Is that part of the show? Yes. <laughs> she was the only woman to earn a full military pension for participating in the Revolutionary War. And they didn't try to take it back? 
No. When they found out she was a woman? She was given it after they knew she was a woman. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. She did have to fight to get it, though. Well, sure. And her cause was taken up by Paul Revere, who duly noted in an 1804 letter to Congressman William Eustis that while he expected to find Samson a tall, masculine female, she was, in fact, effeminate and conversable. (laughs) She talked good. After Deborah died at the age of 66, her husband petitioned Congress to receive a full pension as the widower of a revolutionary veteran. And in 1838, Congress passed an act providing full military pension to her heirs. Deborah, you are a revolutionary badass. Now, there are some variations to her story, and it is said that her story has been exaggerated both by her and by others. And there recently, this the diary that I mentioned, written by Abner, what's his face? Um, that was uh, lots of insider stuff that we didn't know before, Ooh. and. I don't think that regardless of if there was embellishment, you can doubt that she was awesome. That takes amazing courage and fortitude. And balls. And balls to not have balls and do that. Yep. (laughs) So that's Deborah Sampson. Great story. Thank you. Oh, there is a drunk history about her that I would like to watch. Oh, all right. Awesome. Let's check that out. And we'd love for you to check out our website. You can get tickets to our upcoming live show. The first one we've done since the quarantine. It's not until Halloween weekend, Mm. October 29th, but um, it is uh, going to be in New York City. And if we add more shows, which is the plan, uh, they will be available on that site as well. Also, the New York show, you can you can watch it online. You can buy a ticket to watch the live stream. Yeah. So, yeah. so even if you're not in the greater New York area, which I enjoy saying immensely because it sounds cool. It's true. Um, you can watch it uh, via, the, via the worldwide interwebbles. That's correct. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so... Let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Taku Yi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. 
It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.